Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, we're going into the future. We're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to millions of people over, over the world, books, novels, publishing. How do you get your reading material? Let me read you a couple of statistics. I have a wonderful panel, I have to tell you. I've known one of my panelists for 15 years. We've stayed in touch, which is a marvelous thing. She's a publisher. We have an ad man turned almost novelist. I don't know if his book is ready. We have a serial novelist, and you're going to hear some really interesting predictions from them. So we're we're just thrilled to have them. I'll tell you who they are in just a second. Here's a quote from Statista.com. The book industry has faced challenges ranging from the increased popularity of digital media to the hardships faced by retail bookstores. But in the U.S., books remain an important part of consumers' daily lives. Here we go. Print book sales have improved over the last five years. And in 2019, unit sales topped $650 million. The average yearly spend on reading among U.S. consumers was over $90 in 2019. Lynn, come back. There we go. I want to make sure $90, is that a lot of money for people to spend on books in one year, Lynn? This is Lynn Venucci. She'll introduce herself in a second. Lynn, is $90 a good amount of money or is that low? Just quickly. That's very low. It's not, it's low. Okay, good. We'll get more from you. Okay. Print remains print remains the most popular book format among U.S. consumers, and Lynn should know she's a publisher, with more than 65% of adults have read a print book in the last 12 months. Interesting. Meanwhile, and this is something near and dear to Joe Calderwood, one of our panelists, audiobook sales in 2019 generated over $1 billion U.S. dollars in revenue, and the numbers of titles produced grew year on year. In 2018, two years ago, a total of 1.68 million print Print and ebooks were published, and here's the breakdown of that 1.68 million. 1.5 were print, and 130,000 were ebooks. So there, I'm just going to stop and say our topic today is the future of the novel, writers, publishing, and of course, technology. I am Bonnie D. Graham, and thank you to the gentleman who introduced me. His name is Ryan Treasure. He's the VP, I say, of everything at Voice America World Talk Radio. We're on the Business Channel. It is November 18th, 2020. Can't wait for this year to be over. Let's introduce my panelists. I'm going to have them introduce myself themselves. We're on Zoom. I have the pleasure of seeing uh, Joe. I call this nuanced radio because I can watch you talk and watch you think. So there. I'm going to have them each introduce themselves, and we'll find out what is their relationship to this topic. But I gave you some clues. Lynn Venucci, you're up first. Lynn, talk to us. Who are you? Tell everybody. Hi, Bonnie. Lynn Venucci. Um, I'm the publisher at, at editor in chief at Water Street Press. Um, my I've been in the business for a long, long time. My first novel was published by Bantam back in 1986. So I'm older than dirt. Um, (laughs) uh, No, you're not. (laughs) I I, um, have also been uh, a ghostwriter and um, as well as a novelist. And uh, I am also an editor and um, I have been editing books and uh, I found some really, truly, this was maybe 10, 10 years ago, found some really wonderful books that I loved um, that I thought deserved to have a publisher and um, edited them for, for 
the authors and they were sent out and they weren't getting picked up. They weren't getting mm. purchased by, by um, publishers. And um, I thought that one of the reasons was that they were just so niche or they were, um, they were a little quirky. And I thought, could I start something where we could give these books a home? And um, technology allowed me to figure out how to do that. And uh, I, and I, I'm so happy that I was able to do that because I, I love books. I love writing. I love writers, um, love talking to writers and uh, love bringing just wonderful narrative, whether it's fiction or nonfiction into the world. Thank you. And Lynn, people are still reading books and they're going to, we're always going to read books. Don't we love to pick up a book in our hands, a physical book? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think that um, it, it's, it's funny. I'll just um, tell you that in my experience, what I find is that older folks like us, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> like, like us. We, uh, we boomers, we tend to like, we, we have adapted to the technology. We read ebooks, we, we read on Kindles, we read on our iPads. What I'm finding is that it's the millennials and Zoomers who like their print books. Those are the folks who, who want their print books the most. So it's kind of, of interesting. But um, yeah, there will always be print books, I think. Thank you. Um, And Lynn, your company, Water Street Press, you want to just briefly tell us the origin of Water Street? Because I know there's a family tie there. Yeah, my brother uh, is my partner. My brother's an attorney. And um, when I decided to start Water Street Press, um, I talked with him and he became one of my partners. And uh, we grew up on Water Street. We were casting around for a name, all kinds of different names that we were thinking about. And, and we both said, well, we grew up on Water Street. That's where we learned to love to read. So it became Water Street Press. Love it. Sometimes we search far and wide for mystical, magical names for things, and they're sitting right there in front of you. On that note, thank you, Lynn. I know you have a little bit of a cold, Lynn, and I'm so happy you are braving the airwaves to be with me today. You and I go so far back. You were the ghost, we, the ghostwriter were the co-author of Revolution in the Garden, the biography, autobiography of Del Williams. I started out as a ghostwriter, and Del and I just became fast friends. And uh, she said she wanted my name on the book because I had helped her so much. So it was really Del's generosity that uh, that put me on that, put my name on that book. So full disclosure, Lynn was on one of my author interview shows called Read My Lips Radio about 15 years ago, talking about Dell's book, and we've stayed in touch, as I mentioned. Arthur Vibrant is our next panelist. Arthur, so happy to see you again. I think I'm seeing you for the first time because I didn't do radio on Zoom until this year. You have such an interesting and eclectic background. I hope that's okay if I say that word. You've done so much. Arthur, why don't you introduce yourself to my global listeners? They'd love to get to know you. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, Arthur Vibert is my name, and uh, I'm from the Bay Area, although I've lived all over the world. Um, the first part of my career, I spent working in advertising uh, as an art director. I went to art school and all that, so it's my background there. Um, and uh, creative director, I worked on things like the Max Hedrum campaign for Coca-Cola and Saturn launch campaign when the Saturn car was originally launched, and I worked on Levi's and a bunch of other big names. also worked on a lot of tiny you know, um, brands that, uh, it, it's interesting to work on both, both ends of that, of that spectrum. So, you know, you, you deal with millions of dollars on one hand and the other hand, you're dealing with a little tiny amount of money and it's uh, always a challenge to figure out how to do it, but it's part of being creative. And, uh, 
After that, I also worked uh, in video production for about 20 years with uh, clients like Apple and Mozilla and uh, some big law firms here in the Bay Area. But I think the one thing that's kind of been consistent in my life is that I've always worked in creative uh, endeavors of one sort or another. It's always been kind of a, the core principle on what I do. Uh, more recently, I've been doing a lot of writing. Uh, we've actually talked already about a book that's uh, Hopefully, it'll be coming out soon. Uh, it's called uh, uh, Creativity and Innovation, a uh, uh, user guide. And, uh, uh, and that's, that's been a really uh, interesting pro uh, process. Um, uh, we, we just made a small addition to it because of COVID. So we've kind of updated it uh, just because it seems appropriate for this crazy year. Um, and uh, the other thing about me that's important to know is I'm an avid reader. Uh, I, I found that, that I, I laughed when you mentioned that $90 uh, a year <laughs> yes. book number. I was like, uh, I, you know, I, I can do that in a day easily. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I read a lot. Um, I read everything too. Kindle, real books. Uh, I read uh, uh, graphic novels. I always love to see people experimenting and trying new things. And uh, uh, for me, that's all part of the fun of it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated by the whole process of how we um, consume everything, really, of any kind of entertainment. So, including books, novels, movies, all that kind of stuff. So, I, I love all that stuff. Thank you, Arthur. So happy to see you for the first time and be with you again. Um, what do you think? Are we going to? You're, you're, you're writing, are you writing a novel too, Arthur? I thought I saw that in your bio. I am. You're, yeah. You're writing yes, a novel. Is it exciting mm -hmm. to enter the world of novels? Will it be a thriller like the ones that Joe writes? Um, I don't know if I would call it a thriller. Maybe uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time deciding exactly how to define it. Uh, right now, I'm in the process of <laughs> of doing the classic thing. I made I made the classic mistake of of doing too much telling and not enough showing. So, I'm doing one more <laughs> pass through it to uh, to make sure I'm 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 showing and not telling. So that's been fun. But uh, aside from that, you know, it's um, it has a lot of it, it's exciting. I would definitely say, although it draws on my experience in advertising. So. Um, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of what I know, I'm, what I'm familiar with, but, uh, you know, that creates a background for an uh, uh, unexpected uh, development. Uh, I don't want to give away too much just now. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe Calderwood. Thank you, Thank you. Joe. Come front and center. I'm putting you on speaker view. Introduce yourself to my audience, please. Joe Calderwood. Thank you. I'm Joe Calderwood. I'm originally from the agricultural area of Miami. Grew up on about 50 to 60 acres, avocados, lime, citrus. My father was an agricultural person, packing houses. Anyway, grew up there, and we actually were poor, you'd think. But that was not Miami. It was the agricultural area. So I grew up there, went to college, Florida Atlantic uh, University in Boca Raton, got a degree, BBA with a major in accounting, because we had had a CPA come to school when I was in 10th grade, and my best friend and I thought, this guy looked like he had some money, so maybe that's what we like math. Maybe we'll do that. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, I love it. Uh, that's how it all started. <laughs> I also wanted to be an airline pilot, blah, 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 that went on. That's not going to work, so I'll be the CPA. I can't kill anybody doing that. So uh, graduated Florida Atlantic in 71. I was working for... 
got a job with a CPA firm in my hometown of Homestead, uh, closer to the Redland area where I grew up, and uh, started out. And what happened is I've thought about this quite a bit. As I call myself a serial entrepreneur, I've had nine businesses since I started wow. my first CPA practice in 1973, which is hard to believe that was 47 <clears throat> years ago. I don't even think I'm 47 <laughs> years old. You're not. Today, you're not, but, Joe. It's okay. But started that. And uh, what could be better? I have all these business people as clients. And I'm thinking, well, how did you come up with this? Why did you want to have this kind of business? And uh, I became a consultant more than anything because I'd say, yeah, if you did this in the business, this may work better. Well, I ended up most of my life from that first CPA practice after about four years into it, I've owned two businesses at the same time. In fact, right now, I have a business in England, which is an IT business. I was just on the Skype call, well, actually a Zoom call with my managing director over there. I have a 62-lot development here in Asheville where I live, North mm-hmm. Carolina. I was talking to my builder this morning, and uh, I have a project in Florida I'm doing. And then I've written three books. This is just one of them, Money Faucet. Hold it up for series. hold it up steady because Zoom is not picking it up. Hold up the book there. Wait a minute, tilt it a little. No green screen. We're not getting it. Okay. I think it's because there of the go. background I use it doesn't it's, do that. But uh, anyway, uh, so that's always interested me, and I tell people now that when I'm done with this development, I won't do another one. They say sure, and I'll say well, unless a really good deal came up. So <laughs> it always would be something that I want to be productive. So I got into writing maybe over 10 years ago, interested in it, and have written three novels in the Clint Kennedy series. And that's how I met Lynn Venucci of editing it and then uh, publishing it. And uh, well, let's see, I got married. Finally, we've lived together 40 years, but it became legal by the Supreme Court six years ago. So congratulations. And, uh, life is good. <clears throat> I'm glad life is good. I have a question for you, Joe. All the businesses you're in, all your travels around the world, I think Arthur was saying everything he's done, it it all starts to inform the other things you do. The businesses you've run, the CPA work you've done, the investments you've made. Joe, are those part of how you structure the Clint Kennedy, the novels, the, the plots, the scenery? Talk to us a little bit about how that informs your writing. And these are thrillers, right? Yeah, they're thrillers. So, uh Yeah, how all of those experiences uh, are somewhat mixed into how I started writing. I started writing this as a short story, and the short story turned into a long story, and then that turned into my writing teacher telling me I was going to have to pare it down. Is I said, no, I've got more to write. I just kept writing, and then when I met Lynn, I just sent it all to her and started sorting it out. Uh, So the variety of business people I met Some were crooks, some were top-notch, no-gray-area-type business people. Plus, we moved to Merida, Mexico in 2005 and lived there two and a half years. I restored. I'm also obsessive-compulsive, which I like. (laughs) So the first colonial house I bought, I ended up buying the one next door and the one behind it to make a compound. And that's where I met some writers while I was there. And uh, so that experience added into all the stuff in my head, 
when I finally took a writing class and because I had a client that it turned out I thought was really a straight-laced guy was dealing in pot. I wondered how he had so much <laughs> cash to build a house for cash in 1976. And it dawned on me finally later. So, yeah, there were a mix of people I've met and personalities and ways they did it, made money legally, illegally, let's say, in places I've lived that kind of inspired it. Plus, my first boyfriend of seven years family owned a bank. And so I knew a lot more about banking than a lot of people, even though I was a CPA, I was curious, why would anybody even want to have a bank? You know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) There's a lot of intricacies to banking. So that's how some of this stuff came about in the book. Thank you, Joe. I'm, I was, I've read your novels and I, I'm always intrigued when I pick one up because your knowledge of architecture and design, your specificity on details of the characters, what they wear and how they move and what kind of liquor they have in their cabinet and what time they have their cocktail. See, I remember a lot of that, Joe. Uh, it's delightful to see through your writing, through that lens of the scene and the place and the people, and you do it in such beautiful detail. I'm complimenting you, Joe Calderwood, because oh. I really, really enjoyed reading your novels and uh, Clint is quite an interesting guy but I digress Lynn are you okay because I want to come to you next Lynn is is, I see one hand coming up here Lynn is is suffering from a bad cold and you're oh okay you know what I'm going to give you a you want to do your quote now Lynn or should I go to Arthur you ready whatever yeah I'm fine okay she's ready okay so this is a part of the show I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie or a song something they like something they've heard about something they've read or seen that has nothing to do with the topic and they're briefly going to tell us what it has to do with the topic in their own world so Linda sent us a quote from Chief Martin Brody everybody's thinking who played by Roy Scheider in the 1975 thriller film I'm not singing I'm sorry Jaws and the line actually I won't read it yet has gone down as one of the most iconic quotes in movie history, Lynn. It was ad-libbed by Roy Scheider, but according to the Hollywood Reporter, it had something to do with the uh, the, the cheapness of the production crew on, on the, the show. And I'm just going to read the line and you're going to explain it to us. You're going to need a bigger boat. Love the line. One of the most famous, Lynn. So, Lynn, what does this have to do with our topic of the future of the novel, writers, publishing, everything? Go ahead, Lynn. Uh, well, first of all, I love, I've always loved the quote because um, I, first of all, I guess I have a huge, long lasting, decades long crush on Roy Scheider. So, okay, so there's, <laughs> there's that. Uh, but also I tend to, um, I, I tend to be the kind of person who bites off more than they can chew and then hopefully, God willing, chew that up and spit it out. Um, but I think it applies because the, here in this situation, because of the technology, I mean, every day I'm finding new ways to find readers, um, new ways to produce uh, books, to produce the, the new formats that the um, narrative comes in. So it's a matter of, of you just have to keep tap dancing and reading and, uh, and learning. And uh, so that's, I, I feel like that every day that, you know, I, I need a bigger brain. But <laughs> as a publisher, a writer, an editor, Lynn, do you think that publishing is going, well, we, we've established it's always going to be around, but do you think that the bigger boat would also be for uh, 
we're going to need bigger bookshelves, especially now, um, whether it's space in your computer for ebooks, whether it's podcasts, audio books, whether it's print books, because we're probably doing a lot more reading now during COVID and a lot of people are sequestered and isolated at home. What do you think? Yeah, a lot of people, there's a lot more reading going on right now. People are looking for, for entertainment. Um, and uh, so I think that the book sales will um, or do uh, reflect that. Yeah. But oh. in, in a normal situation, I don't think we're going to need bigger bookshelves than we, than we ever did um, <clears throat> because you, people read what they read, although there's more people. So, um, but right now, yeah, it's, it's huge. I think, and it could be one of the reasons why audiobooks are becoming so prevalent because people are looking for ways to entertain themselves. I'll tell you that when I was first doing my author interview radio show, the one you were on so many years ago, Lynn, I had my guests send me the hard copy of the book. Joe, can you imagine over 15, 20 years, the number of books I've collected in Arthur? So yeah. when I left New York, I had bookshelves upon bookshelves. When I left New York, I couldn't take all my books with me. But books to me are something you don't throw away. You might give them away and tell somebody, I hope you enjoy them. Libraries didn't want these books. Many of them were self-published. Many of them were, they, they weren't classics yet okay so I gave some to a friend who's a tennis player in in on the public courts in Queens New York and he brought them to the court and he put them in the trunk of his car and he said to his friends on the tennis court I'm giving away free books and he opened up his trunk and there were about a hundred of the books I wanted to get rid of they were gone in about eight minutes a hundred books disappeared from his trunk people were that eager Lynn to get their hands on there were cookbooks and history books and novels and and guides and you name it all of the people I had interviewed over a period of years but I did bring a lot of books with me and I my office here in Durham is filled with bookshelves again now I tell my guests don't send me the hard copy I want the ebook I have a big hard drive here and I have room for the PDF or download the Kindle. However, let's move on. We're going to go to the quote, Arthur Vibertson. Arthur sent a quote from Talking Heads and the song is Life During Wartime. Uh, It's a song by the American New Wave band Talking Heads released as the first single from their 1979 album Fear of Music. It peaked at number 80 on the U.S. Billboard Pop Singles charts. And here is the quote and Arthur will explain it to us. This ain't no party. This ain't no disco. This ain't no fooling around. No time for dancing or lovey-dovey. I ain't got time for that now. I hope I didn't murder that too badly. Arthur, rescue me. (laughs) What does this have to do with our topic, please? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it's just kind of a, 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 you know, a philosophy, a life philosophy, which I appreciate. It's, you know, first of all, it's just a great song. Um, You know, I've always loved the talking heads. I I just love their attitude and their kind of... uh, you know, uh, surreal take on life and the world uh, we exist in. And even though that was 40 years ago now, just over 40 years ago, it's still very appropriate, especially in this day and age of COVID and, and uh, you know, bizarre politics and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, for me, it's kind of a, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of a philosophy with a smile. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, there's, the whole song I could have quoted, really, because it's so, it's just exceptional. But, uh, you know, that, that part of it, I think, kind of sums it up. And I, I just feel like it, 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 it gives a real sense of, um, uh, you know, attitude you have to take into living in this strange world we inhabit. And, uh, and uh, you know, how, how you get from day to day, how you do the things you do, how you make the things you make. And, uh, uh, and, and especially when it comes to, our topic, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's an attitude of 
everything's changing, constantly changing. We are all, you know, trying to change uh, to go with go with the flow as much as possible, and uh, you just make it happen because what's the choice? What's the choice? <clears throat> Excuse me. And you know what? Music, movies, books—they're keeping us afloat, aren't they, Arthur? They're they're. Indeed. They're keeping they us are. alive. The the entertainment value, whether we do it for inspiration or for knowledge or just for just spacing out and going with Joe Calderwood to Merida and going into the ruins or going into a compound that's becoming a school or going into a, a bank and learning about the ins and outs of money laundering in the drug trade. Oh, my. Okay, let's go to Joe. I have summoned you. Joe has sent us a quote from the character Ennis Del Mar, played by the late, very great Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was an Australian actor, photographer, and music video director for his portrayal of Ennis Del Mar in the movie Brokeback Mountain. He won the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Actor and the Best International Actor Award from the Australian Film Institute, the first time any actor won it posthumously. He died at 29, I think. Brokeback Mountain, in case anybody doesn't know, you probably want to see it. It's a 2005 American romance drama directed by Ang Lee, adapted from the 1997 short story of the same name by Annie Poole. That's all I'm going to say. Here is the quote. If you can't fix it, Jack, you got to stand it. Joe, this sounds very deep. You're going to have to help me out with this one. What does this mean? Uh, well, there are several quotes like that in the movie. It's just showing the simpleness of this character, Ennis, who speaks like that. So he's saying... He's basically saying he can't follow his heart, where the other character played by Jake Gyllenhaal was following his heart. So it was this dynamic. And uh, so that's what it means to me, that quote, is follow your heart. What is in your heart and what is it you want to do? And uh, whether it's writing books or publishing or whatever that is, or business, and uh, how that relates to the topic of technology and the publishing world, I don't really know, but it is follow your heart, and I like, I like that, and uh, that's why when you asked for a quote, I thought, I don't want to just make something up, is I like several quotes from that movie, and another one was like, I'm, I'm going to have to quit you, meaning... This is going, in his mind, it's going to destroy his life as he, if he has this relationship with the other character played by Jake. So he's not willing because it's a risky proposition in the 60s where that movie takes place. Well, it was a risky proposition in my third year of college when I was realizing I'm going to have to deal with this and what I call navigating muddy waters is people didn't accept it. And that was the the main thing of this Brokeback Mountain, this love story that could not be fulfilled for both of them together. And Joe, let's relate this, if you will, to novels. When you write a novel, sometimes the plot doesn't tie up all the little threads, does it, Lynn? And and does it, Arthur? It's not in a neat bow. And there are huge, and it's the challenges that keep the reader interested and they keep the, the the movie watcher interested. Where will it go? How will it resolve? And I've been watching, I've been binging on Netflix series, Amazon Prime series during COVID. I've been through more series than I, 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 I pick series with one word names, most of them. Now I've, I've run out of those. I'm on two word names. But I'm seeing, I'm thinking of the series as, as almost a novel, Joe, 
but I'm doing it a chapter at a time versus if I watch a movie, I'm going to sit for two and a half or three hours and watch the whole thing. So if I, if I finish one episode and it's 45 minutes, I say, okay, and then eight episodes later, well, that's going on a six-hour movie. That's kind of long. But I like those, those cliffhangers. Will they or won't they? Will they quit? Will they stand it? So that sounds to me like a, a really good hook for a plot in a novel, Joe. Thank you all for the quotes. I really appreciate the time you put into that. Now is the time for our predictions. And we have a whole bunch of predictions here. And if you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. I am still Bonnie in the house, Bonnie D. Graham. And our topic is the future of the novel, Writers, publishing, and technology. What is happening with books? That's basically what we're talking about. If you don't own books, tisk tisk. I'll just say that they're wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> you like that, Arthur? So I, I'm here on Zoom, and I get to see my wonderful panelists. We have Lynn Venucci, who's a publisher, an author, a novelist, an editor. We have Arthur Vibert, who started in advertising, and he. Are you? Were you one of the Mad Men, Arthur? Would you call yourself a Mad Men? Well, the Mad Men era was kind of the 50s and 60s, but uh, I I came in at the tail end of all that. You know, it was still a, well, it still is a heavily, uh, it's a big drinking culture. That's just the reality of advertising. (laughs) And a lot of other (laughs) things, too. I I devoured that series, I think, in in, uh, six weeks. I went through the whole, all eight, whatever, 25 seasons, whatever, Mad Men. I loved it. I loved it. I wasn't sure about the ending. But anyway, so Admin, uh, he's writing a novel. He writes books on creativity. And Joe Calderwood, who is a CPA, an investor, a real estate developer, and a novelist, <clears throat> a very colorful novel. So those are my panelists. And I'm, I'm just really thrilled and honored to have the three of you here with me. Uh, let's just go around the table quickly before we get to predictions. Lynn, what part of the country are you in right now? I am in rural Pennsylvania. Sit closer to your computer. We can't hear you. I'm in rural Pennsylvania. Rural Pennsylvania. Arthur, you are? I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area in Marin County. Okay. Joe Calderwood? Asheville, North Carolina, Western North Carolina. And I'm in Durham. Durham. One of my neighbors has D-U-R-M on her license plate. Durham. But I'm from New York, so we say Durham. Okay. So now we're going to do the predictions. Lynn, I'm going to read your first prediction, ask you to talk for about a minute and a half, two minutes, as long as you can stand it. Lynn is suffering from a cold. I feel so bad, but you're doing great. So Lynn's first prediction, storytelling will remain the focus of novels. Lynn, why don't you take about a minute, if that's all you've gotten you, and tell us what this all means, and then I'll pick one from Arthur and one from Joe. We'll just keep cycling through the predictions. Lynn, you're up. I, I, um, in, when you're looking for a book, when you're looking for a story, that's what you want, the story. It doesn't matter how it's delivered. It could be delivered in, on paper. It could be delivered on mm-hmm. ebook. It could be an audio book. It could be a slab with charcoal or, you know, scratchings on it. <laughs> Human beings love story. It's how we make sense of our lives. So the story will always be there. The delivery methods will change. But the story is always the most important thing. And um, so, yes, the industry is changing. Yes, we, we need a bigger boat to handle everything that we have to learn. But essentially what it comes down to is, uh, are the words, do the words move me? Do they make me react? Do they make my life better? Do they give me insight? Do they help me make sense of my life? Um, do they make me smile? Do they make me laugh? And that's the bottom line. And um so, yes, it's changing, but it will always remain the same. And, Lynn, this has gotten so popular even in corporate cultures over the past few years, storytelling. And I know on my, my business shows when I get bios from people now, they want to tell a story. They don't just say, my name is Bob Smith and I've had this job and these are my degrees. They tell a story, which is great if you're doing something for a presentation, but when you're printing a bio <clears> – <throat> 
I'm always searching for the name and the title and the company so I know whose it is. It, it's an interesting, it, it's a twist on how we used to write bio. So thank you, Lynn, for that. Arthur Viber, prediction number one, being a successful writer will require establishing a cult of personality across multiple media platforms. Arthur, unpack that for me. There's a lot in that prediction. <laughs> Go ahead. I love it. Go ahead. Well, I think one of the big changes between the way it used to be and the way it is now is that um, readers have a lot more access to writers. And, um, uh, and I think that the writers that do the best job of um, uh, getting involved with their, uh, their readers do it through various media platforms, um, social media typically. And I think that the ones who are the most successful, uh, especially you know, the ones who really get engaged with their, with their readers and so on, are really involved with social media. Now, the truth is, because uh, I know this from my own experience, it's not easy. It's not something you, you can kind of uh, just do in a half-assed way. You have to actually get in there. You have to engage with people. You have to, you know, let them in. That you have, they have to get to know you. You have to be vulnerable. You'll have to reveal things about yourself and all that kind of stuff. It's like having a relationship with another person, uh, except you're doing it with a lot of other persons. And uh, it takes time and effort and energy and uh, creativity. And, uh, but I think, it's, uh, I think it's really the secret to success as a, for any writer at this stage, or for that matter, anybody who's engaged in any, you know, developing any kind of uh, content, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, it really is, it, 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 once upon a time, that's all that stuff would be done by mm-hmm. publishing house. And now I think it's, terribly important or the PR company, whatever else. But right now I think it's terribly important for the writer themselves to, um, to actually engage personally with their, uh, with their readers. And Arthur, I'm going to pick that apart a little bit. You said a cult of personality. I think you're talking about the persona, but a cult of personality, it, it rings true to me. So how did you intend the use of that word cult? It sounds very niche. Go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, I think you'll find that you, if we look through some of my other um, uh, predictions that uh, that whole idea is people, people like to engage. They like to be part of something. They like mm-hmm. to feel like they're uh, a tribe. And, uh, yep. you know, I think, I think that that's kind of what I mean by that. You know, a cult, a tribe, but how, you know, there's different ways of describing this whole notion. But I think it comes down to, you know, belonging to something. It's like all the people who belong to the Harry Potter world or the people who belong to, you know, any number of other worlds like that. You, you kind of develop this, this universe and people want to inhabit it. I mean, we see this with cosplay. I'm sure you're familiar with that whole world where people go and dress up like the characters and they mm-hmm. like to, you know, they, they take it very seriously. They can put a lot of energy and effort into it and they all go together and hang out and, and uh, you know, it's a thing. And, and it's fun. You know, it's like in a way of escaping and becoming a part of this whole other world. And that, that appears in video games and it appears in um, on all kinds of different uh, sort of virtual universes. And I think that, you know, as all this evolves, we're going to start to see crossover where, where books and, and movies and cosplay and uh, video games, and all these kind of things all become part of this world. You know, I think what's unique about books is that it allows the reader to inject their own mm-hmm. persona into that world. You know, you're, you, you, you create so much of the book and that's why people often get disappointed when they see movies uh, based on books because yep. 
that's not the world they thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know? It's very rare that you, you see that. Right? I mean, one one thing it's interesting. By you were talking a few minutes ago about uh, about Netflix and TV shows. One of my favorite, you know, sort of guilty pleasure novels has been for years, uh, Queen's Gambit. And, oh, 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 hold on, hold on. I <laughs> devoured that. I Did you love the way they did that? It was a limited series, seven episodes, and the first one was over an hour. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. And, I and, did it was, too. and the reason I loved it is because it, it, it like fit perfectly my vision of the book from, you know, and it's so rare. You know, and, and I, I didn't I, I read usually, the book, but I, lo- I loved yeah. what they did. Go ahead. Well, read the book because the, the book's wonderful as well. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it, I have it around. It's like I have this beautiful paperback that I find, refined occasionally. Oh, I got to read this again. So <laughs> I've read it a bunch of times. You know, Walter Tevis, it's, it's, uh, it's excellent. I have to look. The, this, the show is just so beautifully done. She was such yeah. a fascinating character as a little girl, as a teenager, and then as a, a grown-up woman in her 20s. And the actress was, it was like she was phenomenal, paint, like she was painted. The, the skin, the eyes, the, the yeah. look, it, it, it fascinated. It's, it's about a young girl chess prodigy. That's all I'm going to say. Arthur, to your point, Joe, I'm coming to your first prediction in a second. But Arthur, to your point about people read the novel and then they see the movie, say, well, that wasn't how I pictured that character or that persona or that city or that house well the same thing happened to me when we started getting music videos because i'm a child of the rock and roll era okay and i would listen to a song and i would picture what did the boy look like what did the girl look like where was that car where did they go on their date how did they break up and then music videos and they assaulted me with that's not the boy who I was. That's not the car. That, that's not the rest. That, no, that's not what she was wearing. And they took away all of my imagination, just like you said, of building into, into a book. Joe, when I read your books, I see through your eyes. I see through, through the lens of your words. But I still see the face of the person as I imagine he or she would be. And you haven't taken that away from me. I know you want to make movies out of your books. But you've taken away that ability to insert Arthur, insert your own imagination. And I stopped, I would look at, the, at the, some of these videos and say, the singer looks like that? okay, that voice is coming out of that face, and it would ruin everything. So I'm, I wasn't a big fan of that. American Bandstand, I watched that religiously, though. Joe Calderwood, your first prediction is very simply, print publishing will not go away. Joe, are you ready to stand behind your convictions on that one? Talk to me. Uh, yes, and of course, it's from my perspective. <clears throat> yep. It was interesting listening to Arthur about rereading books. I just finished rereading a book. It's literary fiction. Elizabeth Stroud wrote three, I've got them. One is called Olive Kittredge. It is, yeah, and they did make a HBO movie or something out of it. So, yeah, I like having my printed books and a lot of my friends, same thing. We exchange books because we have an avid reader in here. I bet she buys four books a week. Wow. And she'll we have a library we started in the clubhouse here of my development, and I'll go down there. It, usually, she'll give me the books, and I'll bring them home, and I like reading the printer. And I have a Kindle, and I have the app on my laptop, and I have 100 or more eBooks and some that I like there. But the printed book, to me, is way more interesting because I'll, I'll corner over a page that really – speaks mm-hmm. to me for a lot of reasons, maybe even gives me ideas about something I want to write, but just how beautiful the writing is, something like that. 
And so it had been a few years, and I reread this. Uh, the Burgess Boys was another one she wrote. I feel like I'm in Shirley Falls, Maine, where this takes place. I don't even know if there is such a thing, but mm-hmm. I can picture it. And I know if they made a movie out of it, it wouldn't be as beautiful as I see it or the character or the way the character expressed. So you as a reader are co-creating with that writer. Mm-hmm. Head, what's going on? That writer put enough out there and not too much that it's forcing you to start thinking about things of that character and how would they look maybe totally different than that Arthur wrote. So, uh, but again, getting back to print publishing, probably 10 years ago, I think people would have predicted, yeah, eBooks are going to take over. Nobody will ever buy hardbound or paperback book again. And of the books that I've written, we've sold quite a few eBooks, but also a lot of people I'm around that I know wanted the actual printed book and they waited when is the printed one going to be out well i got the ebook but i want the printed one i said well soon so that's just my take thank you and and i'm going to add another dimension to that and i think lynn especially will appreciate this when i pick up a hard copy book and i don't like paperbacks they they just they they kind of flip through your hands and they they don't open flat and i i like a book i can actually put on a desk or put it on my lap put it put in bed but my point is that i like to touch the book I like the feel of the paper. Is the cover, is it glossy? The smell, the, the smell of, right, the smell of print and the, the font that they picked and, and looking at it on the page. And is it a vintage type of paper or is it a semi-gloss paper? What is the paper? How do they construct the book? And I was White reading. On it. What's, yeah, yes. And I was, I, I never oh, read it. Yeah. And you know what? I, I was reading in the one of the articles I used to introduce the show and they said that it's amazing that we haven't talked about self-publishing. Lynn, I know that's another branch that you are a publisher, but a lot of people are self-publishing. And I've read that you can print books, have them printed that are really beautifully crafted, even if it's a, a print on demand. But we're, we're not going to go there yet. Lynn, I'm ready for prediction number two from you. And this is interesting. You say short form will continue to grow in popularity. Would you please tell my audience what is short form? How do you define it, Lynn? Short form um, can encompass anything from a novella to a short story to an essay um, to, um, you know, the, the Kindle has a short, uh, a short uh, form. I forget what they call it right now, but they, you, you can buy an 11 minute read. You can buy a five minute read. You can buy, I think medium does the same thing where they'll tell you how many minutes so you've got five minutes and you want to read an interesting article about mm-hmm. politics or an interesting short story about you know a thriller short story or or whatever um and i think that that uh i know that people read in shorter doses they it's a it's a trend that people like reading shorter pieces and that can also be uh shorter chapters mm-hmm. within a novel um you know the, the styles change i i picked up a book it was written, I cannot remember the name of it, I think it's called The Queen's Cousin or something that was written in the 1940s. And I could barely get through it because it was so flowery. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it just, it didn't fit um, with the way that I am geared to reading. Um, it, what I've been raised read, raised uh, on, uh, it was, and I have no idea if the book was a hit back in the 40s. I don't, I don't know. But I like to pick up books that, you know, from 
and, and read them to see what, you know, what, what my grandmother read, what my, you know, mom read. So I like to do that. Um, but that's just a, an anecdotal example. Um, people tend to have shorter attention spans these days. We have social media. We have little blurbs on our social media. And um, the better that we can format uh, our work to appeal to the way people absorb information, the more chance we have of people um, liking what, what we do. Thank you. Point, point very well taken. Go ahead, Arthur. I was going to say, uh, Lynn, when you were talking about the shorter chapters, it reminded me of somebody referring to those as potato chip chapters. Because, you know, you can kind of snack on them. <laughs> Snackable content, we call it in the corporate world. I always hated that word, but I, I like the potato chip idea better. I, I, I read one of my favorite newspapers. I'm not going to talk about it on my phone in the morning. It comes in usually at, I think, 4 o'clock, 4.10 in the morning. It comes into my, my email, my phone. And sometimes it, it's not a matter of that it's on a phone, but the articles are so long. They just lose me. Sometimes they bury the lead. I'm, not, I'm talking about journalism. Just let me sidebar here for a second. And I'm looking at what the headline, I have to go down to three paragraphs to find how the headline was even used, what it meant. And today I opened up the paper. I was awake, unfortunately, at 4.30 in the morning and needed to distract myself. And I, I went and read and every article was in and out. It was bing, 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 bing. And I said, did somebody on the editorial desk of this newspaper go to the writers and say, stop writing a novel? People want an article. They have other things to do. Tighten it up. Get to the point. And I'm looking, all of a sudden, I'm at the end of the article. I said, wow, a couple of days ago, that would have been three times as long. And I was happier. So, Lynn, to your point, even in news, we wanted in shorter consumable, I didn't say snackable, consumable potato chips. Arthur, I want to go to your prediction number two. This is interesting. You say one-offs, you're going to define that for us, please, will become even less common in the future as readers want to continue to explore and inhabit the worlds of their favorite characters. That sounds interesting. Arthur, unpack, please. Okay, so one-offs is, uh, you know, just a novel that stands alone. It's you know, the characters are never revisited. The universe is never revisited. It's just, you know, uh, a novel, uh, which is great. I mean, we have many of those that we love dearly and, uh, and uh, that have formed our lives and all that kind of thing. But the trend seems to be that um, uh, people love to, um, to revisit the characters, get to know them even better. And this is something that's been around for a long time. It's something that someone just invented this recently. But... Um, I think it's becoming more and more and more uh, important to people, you know, and again, to use Harry Potter as, as an example, you know, you grow up with him, you see him as he, uh, you know, uh, as, as a young boy and then he, he matures and he has different kinds of relationships and he learns different things and, you know, his life evolves over that time and people engage in that. They grow up with him. You know, a lot of, a lot of kids learn to read with Harry Potter and, you know, continued to inhabit that world and still refer to it and love it dearly. Um, you know, even though uh, uh, the author has managed to get herself in some trouble recently, but um, <laughs> yes. even so, I think people still love uh, Harry Potter dearly. So, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of, you know, especially uh, this has been very common in the um, um, fantasy world um, and science fiction world. And also of course, thriller world. I mean, I Joe is doing this obviously. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's smart because, 
people get comfortable. You know, they want to see how their favorite characters are doing. They want to know what they're up to. They want to see how they're evolving and what they're turning into. And, and uh, you know, and, and it's like, I think one of the big differences is that, um, you know, once upon a time, people treated these um, series, series uh, more like the old way that uh, television used to be, where you'd have, um, you know, a series about Kojak, for example. And even though the characters are familiar, the, the, they never evolved. You know, the characters are always the same from one show to the next. Now when you watch a series, the characters evolve over time. You get to know them. You discover their idiosyncrasies. You find out, you know, the relationships change. It's not always the same thing. They're always married to the same person, all the same kind of friends. You know, things happen to them, and they're, and they're just like in real life. And I think that's also what's happening in series, where, you know, the characters just don't remain the same throughout the entire series. They become different. They evolve. Their their personalities change as, as as personalities do. So I think that, um, you know, I think that has a lot to do with, uh, uh, you know, how, how people are going to uh, continue to, uh, 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 to be involved with, uh, with books. And as I said earlier, uh, all the things that, uh, that are generated out of those books. Thank you, Arthur. Very, very interesting. Joe, I'm going to look at prediction number two and three. I think they go together nicely. So I'll read both big publishing will print more junk Small publishers will win with quality. Lynn, I think he's talking about you. Lynn is, Lynn is struggling there, dear. So uh, go ahead, Joe. I'm going to put you on full screen, and why don't you tell us what these two mean? I think they go together very well. Uh, yeah, so it could be me as a business person and maybe venturing out writing and seeing more of what goes on with books. I went to the BEA in New York City a couple years ago and just saw all of these publishers and uh, writers with their stands and booths and things. It was pretty interesting. Uh, But generally, my opinion is on these bigger publishers, it's just a big business and they're going to print this junk that I used to think, oh my gosh, it's a New York Times bestseller. It must be really good. And I start reading and I think, how did this even get published? (laughs) This person I told you that lives in here that gets four books a week, she gets a bunch of that stuff. I'll read like the first three pages and I'll think, even though it's that thick, what is this? Who even wrote it? You know, were there a bunch (laughs) of college kids sitting around? They said, you know, write me this whole thing while you're stoned and we'll put it in this book. (laughs) It would be better than that, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it would be. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. That's... That's kind of why I came up with that as a prediction that the smaller publishers, so for them to survive, they've got to have books that are appealing that they can market to somebody to sell enough to stay in business. So there's kind of, they don't have name recognition necessarily, but they're going to have to build us up on quality. So that's why I think the smaller publishers will do much better than the big publishing house. Yeah, the big publishing house will make money. But I think more people are discerning in what they want to read, whether it's e-books or printed books of any kind or audio books, is that's what I believe from my experience and some of the younger people I'm around that I bump into that make me think, wow, these younger people are a lot smarter than I thought. 
I think they are. And, and Joe, I have received books that were published by big houses in, in the past when I was getting hard copy books from one of my radio shows. And there was one particular case where I opened it up and read the first few pages. It had not been edited. There were typos oh. everywhere in the forward in the first chapter. And I, I just, the only time I've ever thrown away a physical book, and this was a self-published book, when it was so poorly written, so discombobulated, so it just, it was trash. It wasn't the subject. It was just, I was so offended by the book that I didn't want to give it to anybody. I didn't want to burn it. I didn't want to give it. I didn't think it deserved to see another light of day. So I just threw it in the round file. Anyway, we are two and a half minutes from the end of the show. And I have so enjoyed getting to spend this time with all of you. Lynn, I hope you feel better. Uh, you're, you're my dear publishing friend. And uh, I, I hope you'll all come back in the next year. I hope it's a better year. Arthur Vibert, I know how busy you are. And thank you for the time and wish you all success. I want to, I want to get your books when they're ready. And Joe, is there another book on the horizon with you, Joe Calderwood? Yeah, I'm working on uh, a book called Navigating Muddy Waters and it's- takes place in my third year of college when I realize I've got this extra little thing to deal with, and that is I'm gay. And that was uh, 1969. Well, anyway, I've, I've wrote a lot of this. I haven't edited it yet, but, but because I'm doing a podcast for my Clint Kennedy series, starting with Stain Fortune, I've now worked on, because I can't have actors in my house, we're Zooming it, mm-hmm. is... I'm working on the podcast. I've already got seven episodes of Navigating Muddy Waters. Well, while I'm reworking what I wrote, then I'm kind of editing it, and then eventually I'll have it edited by Lynn and publish it. But that's probably a year away. So that's what I'm working on. Well, time time is expansive, Lynn, isn't it, in the publishing business? It's not, we'll have it for you tomorrow. It's maybe in the next year, maybe in the year and a half, and it's it's a bigger time frame than most of us deal with. I want to thank Lynn Venucci. Please, gentlemen, let's give a round of applause for Lynn for so many reasons. Lynn, you recruited Arthur and Joe for the show, and I am so appreciative to you. I know everything going on. I'm sorry you don't feel well, but you were my champion today, Lynn. You, you sounded good, and you always have so much information to share, and I appreciate that that you have started your Water Street Press for discerning readers and for authors of books that are looking for a quality cadre of books to be part of. And that's what you've done. And anybody wants to know, go to, what is it, waterstreetpressbooks.com, Lynn? Exactly. And take a look at the the mission statement for Lynn. I think you'll appreciate that. Arthur Vibert, such a pleasure again, anytime. Joe, say hello to Gil. And uh, I'm looking forward to more Clint Kennedy novels from you. Everybody say thank you to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire. Thank you, Aaron. Glad you're feeling better. And thank you to Ryan Treasure, the voice of the future of now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's my closing remarks. Here are my closing remarks. Thank you for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future of now. If somebody says to you, the future's already here, you say to them, tsk, Tsk, tsk. I know Arthur likes it when I say that. No, no, no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future didn't happen yet. And we're all here and we're going to do our best to make it a better one. Heck yes. Be safe. Be smart. Be savvy. Be careful and be sane. Signing off. Bonnie out. Bye bye. 
Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Thanks again for listening.